Jesus, our Savior and Friend. The Book of Luke by John M. Fowler Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group Exploration 11 The Kingdom of God They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 13, verse 29, New King James Version. The kingdom of God is a major theme and a significant priority in the teachings of Jesus. The phrase occurs nearly 50 times in Matthew, 16 times in Mark, about 40 times in Luke, and three times in John. Wherever it appears, be it in the Lord's Prayer or in the Sermon on the Mount, or in his other preaching and parables, the kingdom of God is an expression of what God had done in history for the human race as he deals with the problem of sin and brings the great controversy with Satan to an ultimate and decisive end. The kingdom of God is unlike any kingdom the world has ever known, and that's because it's not a worldly kingdom. The kingdom of God comes not with outward show. It comes through the gentleness of the inspiration of His Word, through the inward working of His Spirit, the fellowship of the soul with Him who is its life. The greatest manifestation of its power is seen in human nature brought to the perfection of the character of Christ. That revelation was written by Ellen G. White in her book entitled the Ministry of Healing, on page 36. In this exploration, we will focus on the theme, the kingdom of God, especially as it appears in the book of Luke. Characteristics of the Kingdom of God, Part 1 The Gospels are replete with references to the kingdom of God, all cumulatively testifying that a new order has been inaugurated in and through Jesus. What does Luke chapter 11 verse 2 say about the kingdom of God? Whose kingdom is it? And why is that so important? And he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, held holy and revered, on earth as it is in heaven. To say that this kingdom is God's is not just saying the obvious, but is rather affirming that the kingdom of God is neither a philosophic notion nor an ethical edifice. It is not a social gospel proclaiming bread and water for the hungry or equality and justice for the politically oppressed. It transcends all human goodness and moral action and finds its locus in the sovereign activity of God in the incarnate Son, who came preaching the good news of the kingdom. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44 reveal, And when daybreak came, he left Peter's house and went into an isolated desert place. And the people looked for him, until they came up to him and tried to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, to the other cities and towns also. 
for I was sent for this purpose. And he continued to preach in the synagogues of Galilee. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. And he went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the good news, gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every weakness and infirmity among the people. So the report of him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all who were sick, those afflicted with various diseases and torments, those under the power of demons and epileptics and paralyzed people, and he healed them. And great crowds joined and accompanied him about, coming from Galilee and Decapolis and the district of the ten cities east of the Sea of Galilee, and Jerusalem and Judea, and from the other the east side of the Jordan. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, tells us who inaugurated the kingdom of God and what its final result will be. He will be great, eminent, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his forefather David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob throughout the ages. And of his reign, there will be no end. Did you hear the answers to the two questions? Question 1. Who inaugurated the kingdom of God? Answer. The Lord God, the Most High. Question 2. What will be the final end of this kingdom of God? Answer. There will be no end to his kingdom. The Son of the Most High will reign throughout the ages. Once again, this scripture, Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, is of utmost importance for two reasons. First, the Messiah anticipated in the Old Testament is none other than Jesus, the Son of the Highest. Second, of his kingdom there will be no end. This means that through his incarnation, death, and resurrection, Jesus vanquished Satan's challenge to God's sovereignty and established for eternity God's kingdom. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, New King James Version, reveals that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In the clash between Christ and Satan, Satan claimed victory after the fall of Adam and Eve. But the mission of Jesus proved the falsity of Satan's claims. He defeated Satan at every turn, and with his death and resurrection, Christ has assured the entire cosmos that the kingdom of God has arrived. Friend, are you a citizen of God's kingdom? Do you live in a way that reflects the reality of the kingdom of God? Characteristics of the Kingdom of God, Part 2 What is citizenship in the Kingdom of God? Luke chapter 18, verses 16 through 30. But Jesus called the parents to him, saying, Allow the little children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such as these belongs the Kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, 
Whoever does not accept and receive and welcome the kingdom of God like a little child does shall not in any way enter it at all. And a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, you who are essentially and perfectly morally good, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, to partake of the eternal salvation in the Messiah's kingdom? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me essentially and perfectly morally good? No one is essentially and perfectly morally good, except God only. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not witness falsely. Honor your father and your mother. And he replied, All these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard it, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell everything that you have and divide the money among the poor, and you will have rich treasure in heaven. And come back and follow me. Become my disciple. Join my party and accompany me. But when he heard this, he became distressed and very sorrowful, for he was rich, exceedingly so. Jesus, observing him, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to enter through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our own things, home, family, and business, and have followed you. And he said to them, I say to you truly, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive in return many times more in this world and in the coming age eternal life. Luke chapter 12, verses 31 through 33. Only aim at and strive for and seek his kingdom, and all these things shall be supplied to you also. Do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sow what you possess and give donations to the poor. Provide yourselves with purses and handbags that do not grow old, an unfailing and inexhaustible treasure in the heavens, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Luke chapter 9, verses 59 through 62. And he said to another, Become my disciple, side with my party, and accompany me. But he replied, Lord, Permit me first to go and bury, await the death of my father. But Jesus said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and publish abroad throughout all regions the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, and become your disciple and side with your party. But let me first say goodbye to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back to the things behind is fit for the kingdom of God. 
entry into the kingdom of God is not dependent on one's status or position or one's riches or the lack thereof. Luke, along with other gospel writers, points out that one must come to Jesus with an attitude of uncompromised surrender, absolute dependency, and childlike trust. These are traits of those who have entered the kingdom of God. They must be willing to give up everything, if need be, for whatever they would not want to give up would be something that, in a sense, not only competes with Jesus, but, in fact, wins. Jesus and his claim on our life, on every aspect of our life, takes top priority. This makes sense because, after all, it's only through him that we exist to begin with. Thus, of course, he should have our complete allegiance. Let's listen again to Luke chapter 18, verses 29 and 30. What is Jesus saying, and what is he promising? And he said to them, I say to you truly, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive in return many times more in this world and in the coming age eternal life. To have to leave parents, spouse, even children for the kingdom of God? That's a demanding commitment, isn't it? Jesus is not saying that these actions are required of all believers, but that if one were called to leave these things for the sake of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God would be worth it. Think about Jesus' words about letting the dead bury the dead in Luke chapter 9, verse 59. What important truth is he expressing here about not making excuses to keep from following him when the call comes, no matter how valid those excuses might seem? The kingdom of God. Already. Not yet. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. From the Amplified Bible. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, that Nazareth where he had been brought up, and he entered the synagogue, as was his custom, on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And there was handed to him the roll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened, unrolled the book, and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, the Anointed One, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. Then he rolled up the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were gazing attentively at him. And he began to speak to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled while you are present and hearing. 
Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. In his first public proclamation at Nazareth, what we just heard in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, Jesus affirmed that through him that day, Isaiah's messianic prophecy of the kingdom and its redeeming ministry had been inaugurated. Luke records another saying that attests the kingdom's present reality. Asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come, Jesus answered them that the kingdom of God is within you. Luke chapter 17, verse 21, New King James Version. Other translations suggest that the kingdom is in your midst. That is to say, with the arrival of Jesus, the kingdom has already come, with its components to include healing the sick, preaching of the gospel, forgiving sins, and crushing the forces of evil. Thus, Jesus made the kingdom a present reality within the individual, transforming the person to be like him. The kingdom of God is also seen amid the community of believers, a revelation of righteousness and salvation. This present aspect is also known as the kingdom of God's grace that is now being established as day by day hearts that have been full of sin and rebellion yield to the sovereignty of His love. Those are the words of Ellen G. White in her book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 108. While the already aspect has settled the finality of the kingdom, that is, the defeat of sin and Satan and Jesus' victory in the great controversy, the not-yet aspect looks forward to the physical end of the evil and the establishment of the new earth. The full establishment of the kingdom of His glory will not take place until the second coming of Christ to this world. That thought is also from Ellen G. White's book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 108. Here are two more sets of verses from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17, verses 23 and 24, and Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 36. Here's the question to answer. What do these texts teach about the kingdom of God at the end of the age? Luke chapter 17, verses 23 and 24 say, And they will say to you, Look, he is there, or look, he is here. But do not go out or follow them, for like the lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his own day. And Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 36 say, And as some were saying of the temple, that it was decorated with handsome, shapely, and magnificent stones, and consecrated offerings laid up to be kept, he said, as for all this that you thoughtfully look at, the time will come when there shall not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when this is about to occur? And he said, Be on your guard and be careful that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, 
appropriating to themselves the name Messiah, which belongs to me, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go out after them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, disturbances, disorder, and confusion, do not become alarmed and panic-stricken and terrified, for all this must take place first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he told them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be mighty and violent earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences, plagues, malignant and contagious or infectious epidemic diseases, which are deadly and devastating. And there will be sights of terror and great signs from heaven. But previous to all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, turning you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be led away before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be a time and opportunity for you to bear testimony. Resolve and settle it in your minds not to meditate and prepare beforehand how you are to make your defense and how you will answer. For I, myself, will give you a mouth and such utterance and wisdom that all your foes combined will be unable to stand against or refute. You will be delivered up and betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death, and you will be hated, despised by everyone because you bear my name and for its sake. But not a hair of your head shall perish. By your steadfastness and patient endurance you shall win the true life of your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know and understand that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city get out of it, and let not those who are out in the country come into it. For those are days of vengeance, of rendering full justice or satisfaction, that all things that are written may be fulfilled. Alas, for those who are pregnant, and for those who have babies which are nursing in those days. For great misery and anguish and distress shall be upon the land, and indignation and punishment and retribution upon this people. They will fall by the mouth and the edge of the sword, and they will be led away as captives to and among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled, completed. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. And upon the earth there will be distress, trouble and anguish of nations and bewilderment and perplexity, without resources, left wanting, embarrassed, in doubt, not knowing which way to turn at the roaring, the echo of the tossing of the sea. Men swooning away or expiring with fear and dread and apprehension and expectation of the things that are coming on the world. For the very powers of the heavens will be shaken and caused to totter. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great transcendent and overwhelming power and all his kingly glory, majesty, and splendor. 
Now when these things begin to occur, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption, deliverance, is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they put forth their buds and come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and perceive and know that summer is already near. Even so, when you see these things taking place, understand and know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Truly, I tell you, this generation, those living at that definite period of time, will not perish and pass away until all has taken place. The sky and the earth, the universe, the world, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life. And lest that day come upon you suddenly, like a trap or a noose, for it will come upon all who live upon the face of the entire earth. Keep awake then, and watch at all times. Be discreet, attentive, and ready, praying that you may have the full strength and ability, and be accounted worthy to escape all these things taken together that will take place, and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Our world and the state of our world, the turmoil, sorrow, and trouble in it, certainly reflect the words that Jesus expressed. Though some argue that the pain and suffering in this world mean God doesn't exist, we could reply that given what Jesus warned us about almost 2,000 years ago, the state of our world helps prove not only God's existence, but the truth of the Bible itself. If the world were paradise now, Jesus' words would be false. Only at the end will the kingdom of God, in all its fullness, be established. Until then, we have to endure. The Kingdom and the Second Coming of Christ When Jesus spoke of the Kingdom of God, He spoke of two certainties. One, God's activity through Christ in history to save humanity from sin. And two, God's closure of history by restoring the saved to His original plan, to live with Him forever in the earth made new, as promised in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. In the Amplified Bible, these verses say, Then I saw a new sky, heaven, and a new earth, for the former sky and the former earth had passed away, vanished, and there no longer existed any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
descending out of heaven from God, all arrayed like a bride, beautified and adorned for her husband. Then I heard a mighty voice from the throne, and I perceived its distinct words, saying, See, the abode of God is with men, and he will live in camp, tent among them, and they shall be his people, and God shall personally be with them and be their God. The first certainty, as already mentioned, has arrived in the mission and ministry of Jesus. In him, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9 tell us, Even as in his love he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart for him, and blameless in his sight, even above reproach, before him in love. For he foreordained us, destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted, revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the purpose of his will, because it pleased him and was his kind intent so that we might be to the praise and the commendation of his glorious grace, favor and mercy, which he so freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption, deliverance, and salvation through his blood, the remission, forgiveness of our offenses, shortcomings, and trespasses, in accordance with the riches and the generosity of his gracious favor, which he lavished upon us in every kind of wisdom and understanding, practical insight and prudence, making known to us the mystery secret of his will, of his plan, of his purpose. And it is this, in accordance with his good pleasure, his merciful intention, which he had previously purposed and set forth in him. In other words, we are already in the kingdom of grace. The second part the gathering of the saved in the kingdom of glory is the future hope which those in Christ await. Here are two promises. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. He planned for the maturity of the times and the climax of the ages to unify all things and head them up and consummate them in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 awaiting and looking for the fulfillment, the realization of our blessed hope, even the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Jesus and the rest of the New Testament link that historical moment when the faithful will inherit the kingdom of glory to the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is the final culmination of the good news that Jesus came to proclaim when he came the first time. The same Jesus who defeated sin and Satan on Calvary is soon to return to begin the process that will eradicate evil and purify this earth from the tragedy that Satan inflicted on God's creation. How would you summarize the basic message of these verses? Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. As you listen, 
Think about your life and ask yourself, how do these words apply to me? What do you need to do in order to make sure that you are following what Jesus tells us here? Let's listen to Luke chapter 21 verses 34 through 36 from the Amplified Bible. But take heed to yourselves and be on your guard lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life. And lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. For it will come upon all who live upon the face of the entire earth. Keep awake then, and watch at all times. Be discreet, attentive, and ready, praying that you may have the full strength and ability and be accounted worthy to escape all these things taken together that will take place, and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. As we await the return of Jesus, we are called to watch and pray always, that you may be counted worthy to stand before the Son of Man. Luke chapter 21, verse 36, New King James Version. Those who have experienced the kingdom of grace must wait, watch, and pray for the kingdom of glory between the one and the other, between the already and the not yet. The believers are to be occupied with ministry, and mission, with living and hoping, with nurture and witness. The anticipation of the second coming demands the sanctification of our lives, now and here. Witnesses. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. What important truths about the kingdom of God are being expressed here? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, from the Amplified Bible. In the former account which I prepared, O Theophilus, I made a continuous report dealing with all the things which Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he ascended, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had instructed and commanded the apostles, special messengers whom he had chosen. To them also he showed himself alive after his passion, his suffering in the garden and on the cross, by a series of many convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidences and infallible proofs, appearing to them during forty days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. And while being in their company and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, You have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with, placed in, introduced into, 
the Holy Spirit. So when they were assembled, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings the things and events of time and their definite periods or fixed years and seasons, their critical niche in time, which the Father has appointed, fixed, and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power. But you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. The kingdom of God was foremost in the mind of Luke as he wrote a sequel to his gospel in the form of a brief history of the early church. In the opening lines of that historical account, the book of Acts, Luke states three fundamental truths regarding the kingdom of God. First, be sure that Jesus will come again. For 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, New King James Version, tells us the Lord continued to teach what he had taught the disciples before his crucifixion, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The mighty events of the cross and the resurrection had not changed anything in the teaching of Jesus in regard to the kingdom. If anything, for 40 days, the risen Jesus continued to impress upon his disciples the reality of the kingdom. Second, be waiting for Jesus to come again in God's own time. After his resurrection, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, New King James Version, tells us that Jesus' disciples asked a serious and anxious question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus did not answer the question, but corrected the disciples' perspective. God must always be God. To probe his mind, to predict the preciseness of his plans, to penetrate his secrets, is not the task of flesh and blood. He knows when the kingdom of glory should come, and he will bring it to pass in his own time. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to become acquainted with what time brings the things and events of time and their definite periods, or fixed years and seasons, their critical niche in time, which the Father has appointed, fixed and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But of that exact day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Just as Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, When the fullness of the time had come, he sent his Son to inaugurate the kingdom of grace. Third, be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus. Christ redirected the disciples from speculation about what is not known when the kingdom of glory will come, to what is known and must be done. The time of the second coming is not revealed, but we are called upon 
to wait for that glorious day and to occupy till then. Luke chapter 19, verse 13. This means that we should be involved in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, New King James Version. That is our responsibility, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Promise to be poured out on all those who shall be witnesses to what they have seen and heard. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8 says, And while being in their company and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, You have heard me speak, for John baptized with water, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with, placed in, introduced into the Holy Spirit. So when they were assembled, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings, the things and events of time and their definite periods, or fixed years and seasons, their critical niche in time, which the Father has appointed, fixed and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power. But you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. The faithful followers of Jesus still had some big misconceptions about the nature of Christ's work, and yet the Lord was using them anyway. What message might there be for you about not needing to fully understand everything in order to still be used by God? Let's continue exploring. Of the poor in spirit, Jesus says, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom is not, as Christ's hearers had hoped, a temporal and earthly dominion. Christ was opening to men the spiritual kingdom of his love, his grace, his righteousness. The ensign of the Messiah's reign is distinguished by the likeness of the Son of Man. His subjects are the poor in spirit the meek, the persecuted for righteousness' sake. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. The book is entitled Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. That thought is on page 8. The author is Ellen G. White. She also penned these words in her book Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, pages 355 and 356. We are now in God's workshop. Many of us are rough stones from the quarry. But as we lay hold upon the truth of God, its influence affects us. It elevates us and removes from us every imperfection and sin of whatever nature. Thus, we are prepared to see the King in His beauty and finally to unite with the pure and heavenly angels in the kingdom of glory. Here are a few thoughts and questions 
to think about. Question 1. Physicist Steven Weinberg, talking about the cosmos, famously or infamously, wrote, The more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it also seems pointless. His words made quite a stir, and he eventually tried to soften what he said. Some, though, didn't see any reason for the controversy about the universe not having a point. Why should it have a point? asked Harvard astronomer Martha Geller about the universe. Why should it have a point? It's just a physical system. What point is there? I've always been puzzled by that statement. The universe, just a system, and a pointless one at that? As a Christian, awaiting the second coming of Jesus, and the full and complete establishment of the kingdom of God, how would you respond to the ideas behind astronomer Geller's statements? Question 2. Every generation of Christians has expected Jesus to return in their time, and some pastors and evangelists have set specific dates, but each has failed. What is wrong with time-setting? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.